Good morning. Today we come to the last message in our series called Matters of the Heart, a study in the book of Jonah. But last week we actually closed the last page on the book of Jonah, and so this week we jump forward to the New Testament. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 12 in a moment, so I'm going to go ahead and invite you to turn there. Um, one of the things that we're going to talk about, the main thing that we're going to talk about today is a claim that something is better than something else. And, and as I was just thinking and praying through this, um, I, I did a quick Google search. And did you know, I don't know, if you, I don't know if you know this, but did you know people often make claims of one product being better than another product? Right? You've experienced this? Well, I, I found a couple of commercials from years gone by of... Two products that were claimed that were claimed to be really good for you. Watch this. You know, this was me five years ago, and it's still me. But I confess, I'm a waistline watcher from way back. Well, that's enough for today. Now for a lively lift: ice cold Coca-Cola. There's no waistline worry with Coke, you know. Actually, this individual size bottle has no more calories than half a grapefruit. Mmm, another thing, the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Coke's a natural, wholesome blending of pure food flavors. I guess that's why everyone likes the refreshing new feeling you get, only from not-too-sweet Coca-Cola. And no wonder, lively, lifty Coca-Cola provides a welcome bit of quick energy between meals. Thanks for a pleasant pause in a busy day. Oh, and remember, Coke is low in calories, too. Say, now, don't you get any thinner. Now, if you think that's good, just watch the next one. You know, if you were to follow a busy doctor as he makes his daily round of calls, you'd find yourself having a mighty busy time keeping up with him. Time out for many men of medicine usually means just long enough to enjoy a cigarette. And because they know what a pleasure it is to smoke a mild, good-tasting cigarette, they're particular about the brand they choose. In a repeated national survey, doctors in all branches of medicine, doctors in all parts of the country were asked, what cigarette do you smoke, doctor? Once again, the brand named most was Camel. Yes, according to this repeated nationwide survey, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. Why not change to camels for the next 30 days and see what a difference it makes in your smoking enjoyment? See how camels agree with your throat. See how mild and good tasting a cigarette can be. doctors in every state, right? So oftentimes there is a claim of one thing being better than another. I mean, that is what marketing and advertising, advertising is built on, the claim that something is actually good for you, it's better than something else. Well, when we look in Matthew chapter 12, which I, uh, go ahead and turn over there. If you have not, we're going to look at some verses today, wrapping up our series on the book of Jonah, where Jesus specifically talks about how he is actually better. 
So we're going to look at verses 38 to 42 together, and then we're going to jump back and read verses 6, 7, and 8 as well. So then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus continues. He says, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold something greater than even Solomon is here. Now, jump back to verses 6 through 8. Jesus says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. Jesus is better. Now, I, I, we still have some kids in the room. Are kids still in the room? All right, kids, I need your help this morning with something very, very important. Now, the adults, I need your help as well, but kids especially need you to lead out in this, okay? I need you to help me preach this morning by declaring as loud as you can this statement, okay? Now, you only do it when I tell you to. Don't just yell this out at any time, okay? But when I point at you, right, which means you got, you got to pay attention, but when I point at you, I want you to say to everybody in the room, we're all going to do this together, but kids, I know you're going to help be really loud. You are going to say, Jesus is better, all right? Can, can we practice that one time, all right? It didn't sound like he was better. So I think we can do a little better moms and dads in the room. Kids, I heard you, all right? But I need, I need the rest of us to follow along with our kids here. And let's really declare this this morning. So much better. So much better. And, and I hope by the end of our time together, we all walk away encouraged that we have something in Jesus that's better. And, and, and my hope and prayer for each of us this morning is we walk away content in the person of Jesus, encouraged in the person of Jesus, because he really is better. The first place that we saw that Jesus is better in the text we just read is this, that Jesus is a better prophet. Jesus is a better prophet. There's a comparison between Jesus and Jonah right here in Matthew chapter 12, um, but, but that's not the big point. But here's the comparison. Both Jesus and Jonah were sent to preach repentance, right? We saw that in the book of Jonah. Both Jesus and Jonah were sent out to preach to Gentiles when most all of the other prophets had strictly been preaching to the nation of Israel. Both Jesus and Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a beast, one being a great fish and one being the earth itself. Both Jonah and Jesus, we read, are signs to their generations and ours as well. And, and I'm sure that there are a lot of other similarities 
as well between Jesus and Jonah, but they don't go much farther than that because that's not really what the focus is. The focus is not so much on how Jesus and Jonah are alike. The focus is on how much better Jesus is than Jonah. And and let me just say, anytime, and you know this, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have been ministered to by Jesus, if if you have experienced the love, redemption, forgiveness, and salvation of Jesus, then you know this to be true. Anytime something, anything, no matter how great it is, is compared to Jesus, we always walk away. With the, with the knowledge that we have known and experienced that Jesus is better. And, and so our, our focus is on how Jesus is better. Well, how is Jesus better than Jonah? Well, number one, Jesus was actually willing. He, he was a willing prophet. Jonah and Jesus were both sent by the Father to preach to sinners. But Jonah You'll remember the whole point of the story is that Jonah was reluctant and he was disobedient. He was a rebellious man who ran the other way when God called him to go to Nineveh. But Jesus willingly embraced his assignment. He came down into the world to preach repentance to us. His message from the beginning was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jonah, we learned last week, was all about self-preservation. And Jesus' life was like a drink offering poured out to the Father on your behalf and on my behalf. He was a better prophet because he was a willing prophet no matter what it costed him. Jesus was also a better prophet because he had a better message. Jesus was a better prophet because his message was clearly better. You, you, You remember Jonah's message? Remember we kidded about how it was really the worst sermon of all time. I don't encourage you to go YouTube that because you'll find some doozies on there. But the worst sermon of all time, here it is. This is all we're told that Jonah went around Nineveh proclaiming, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. That's the the whole manuscript. Yet 40 days and you're all going to die. And then he'd go to the next place and proclaim the same thing. Worst sermon ever. Jesus came with an altogether different message, and he was so clear. By grace, you can be forgiven of all. Still preaching repentance, but Jesus came as the way to repentance, preaching grace and forgiveness for all. And by grace, God can do amazing things in your life. By by grace, God's Spirit is building the kingdom of God in each of us. That kingdom is everything. And this is the core of the gospel. He is, day by day, transforming us into men and women who are actually going to be fit for the kingdom of God. What a beautiful truth. Jesus came preaching a better message. He's giving us new hearts, and someday that journey will be complete. He will give us a new name, and we, all of us who are followers of Jesus, the Bible says, will dwell in the house of God forever. One day the king will return, and he will rule, and those who have answered his invitation will, in relationship to Jesus, rule in the kingdom to come. So, Jesus 
is a better prophet. So, so help, me, help me again. I'm going to point at you, kids. All right, you paying attention? We're going to start over. Jesus is better. So Jesus is also, we read here, a better resurrection. Jonah was a shadow of the resurrection to come in the New Testament. Jonah was swallowed by a great creature of the sea, and for a period of three days and three nights, he was held captive. God didn't let him drown when he was hurled into the sea, and so that great sea beast was, a, was really his salvation. But that, Jesus tells us, was a sign that pointed to Jesus. Jesus was the real thing. Um, I remember in 1999, which was a long time ago, um, and kids in the room, you weren't, you weren't even born yet, all right? But I was. I was already graduated high school in 1999. Um, and in 1999, a new movie came out. Now, this was a big, big deal for, for, for people of my generation, Okay, because for people of my generation uh, who grew up loving a universe created by a man named George Lucas, okay, I'm talking about Star Wars. Okay, so as a child of the 80s, born in 79, but grew up in the 80s, every day was spent outside with a stick doing battle against my brother. And these sticks weren't really just sticks, they were what? They were lightsabers, right? And usually, I, 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 in my mind, I, I, I was Luke Skywalker, okay? And so, in 1999, for the first time in my life as an adult, a new movie came out. It was ours. It was our Star Wars tale. And I remember being excited about going to watch with friends as, a, as the Jedi would do a, a battle with the evil empire. We at last had our own space saga of good and evil. But here's the thing, and I'm not hating on the Phantom Menace at all, not at all. But I remember walking away thinking that night after the film that it was, it was good, but it just didn't feel like the real thing. You know what I mean? Sometimes, you do know what I mean. See, this is what we want. We ask questions, we like response. It's good, but it's not quite the real thing. That, that's kind of like Jonah. Jonah's experience in the belly of that fish was a picture of something that was to come. It was a prequel. Jonah was the prequel to the resurrection. Just like the Phantom Menace was a prequel to A New Hope. He, Jesus, is the essence of the entire story. And God gave us the story of Jonah to make us long for the real story. There's something about the story of Jonah. There's something about so much in the Old Testament that makes us long for the Messiah who was to come. Can you imagine if you lived in Israel in the time of the Old Testament, the longing that would have been created by these stories for the real thing that would one day come? His name was Jesus. Jesus is greater than Jonah, and his resurrection was greater than Jonah's because Jonah didn't really die. 
But Jesus did, and his death was for us. So when Jesus mentions the three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, he's giving us a picture of the gospel, that Christ died, Christ was buried, and Christ rose again in accordance with the scriptures to include the book of Jonah. Jesus is not a prequel of a coming attraction. He is the substance of every shadow in the Old Testament. He is the real thing, and his resurrection has substance. Jesus' resurrection is better because Jesus was the first, but not the last. His resurrection is better because of this. It was because it was the first, but it was not the last. Acts 26, 23 says that Jesus was the first to rise from the dead. You say, well, what about Lazarus? We've read about other people who had been resurrected before. Oh, but they were different. The people who had been resurrected before would die again. The people who were resurrected before really were just resuscitated into the bodies that they had, the sinful bodies that they had. Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. His resurrection was better because he was given a glorified body. It's a fundamental and critical difference between those earlier events and this one. Jesus experienced, in all other cases, the person who was raised returned to an earthly, sinful body, and they had to die again one day. Jesus never died again and will never die again. Jesus paved the way for all who trust in him to experience resurrection. John 5, 28 and 29. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Can you imagine this? When all who are in tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus broke death and removed its power so that everyone someday will experience resurrection, but only those who know him and love him will be resurrected to life in the kingdom. So now it's your turn to tell us all that Jesus is better. He's not only a better prophet, but Jesus is a better resurrection. He's not only a better resurrection, but Jesus is a better king. Uh, uh, Verse 42 says, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The queen of the south, according to 1 Kings chapter 10, was a woman of great wealth, power, and beauty. Uh, she, was, she was of a place called Sheba, believed to be either in Ethiopia or the modern country of Yemen. By most biblical scholars, um, this was a well-established kingdom, and she was the queen. She ruled over this place, and she was completely unimpressed with the religions of her area. The Bible tells us that the queen of Sheba hears of a man, hears of a man. She learns of a man, a king in a place called Israel. And she learns that this is a a man who has wisdom. Not only that, but she hears of the fame of Solomon, the Bible says, concerning the name of the Lord. So this woman who is hungry for true wisdom travels about the distance from here to Prince Edward Island in Nova Scotia. Okay, can you just imagine, we're going all the way up the East Coast, past Maine, to the home of Anne of Green Gables. That's what we're talking about. That's how far this is. Except for she's traveling by camel and caravan across a hot desert. 
She gets there, and after a meal together, the queen of Sheba declares that this is a king who has understanding. She's not disappointed. He knows things. He knows things, Solomon did, that no one else knew. Now, we all know the story about Solomon. Wisest man who's ever lived, right? Wisest man on the earth at his time. The Bible says that he was so studied and had understanding of minute things. That he studied cedar trees and hyssop plants, of plants and all animals. So people would show up from everywhere to listen and learn as Solomon would teach. He understood what no one understood. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 30, tells us, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the very wisdom of God. What, what Jesus is saying here in the book of Matthew chapter 12 is that if a, king, a queen will travel over 1,500 miles to meet and learn from a wise king, it is the definition of foolishness. When wisdom incarnate is here, when the wisdom of God walks among you, not to come and seek the very wisdom of God. Solomon knows about stars. I'm fascinated by space. I want to show you a couple pictures here. Look at this first one. What is this? This is our sun. Here's a little bit about our sun. The sun, you all know, is the largest object in our what? Solar system, very good. With a distance of about 695,508 kilometers, not from Earth, but from the center of it to the surface of the sun. That means it's really big, okay? Um, it contains, did you know this? The sun contains 99.86% of the entire mass of our solar system. That is how much larger our sun is than everything else in our solar system. It is nearly 100% of our solar system. It is roughly the size of 1.3 million planet Earths. Really, really big. And the sun is an average-sized star. Some would say even a small star. Some stars are just a tenth of the size of our sun, while others could be up to 700 times bigger than our sun. Look at this next slide. Isn't that beautiful? That's also a picture of our sun. This is, anybody? This is a solar flare. Solar flares are the largest explosive events in the entire solar system. They occur when magnetic fields associated with sunspots the dark spots on the surface of the sun convert energy into heat and accelerating particles ejecting into space. They're characterized by a burst of photons or light at almost every single wavelength. And that's what this is a picture of. We're able to see the different colors in the light spectrum. Most famous, this is a crazy story. Most famously, on September 2nd, 1859, a solar flare so large, it lit up our entire planet. And before the sun came up that morning, the sun flare, the solar flare, was so bright and large, folks in Missouri woke up and could read by its light. 
Miners in the Rocky Mountains woke up thinking it was dawn and started cooking breakfast. True story. Our galaxy is around one quintillion, let me read this correctly, kilometers across, or 100,000 light years. There are, at our best guess, 100 billion galaxies in the known universe. The sun and the eight planets, including the earth, reside in the galaxy known as the Milky Way. And guess what? You now know more about the sun than the wisest man who ever lived knew. Isn't that crazy to think about? Uh, uh, that the sun is, a, is in a spiral arm of the Milky Way called the Orion Spur. This branches off from the galaxy's Sagittarius arm. The sun and our solar system, by the way, are orbiting around the center of the Milky Way at a speed of 720,000 kilometers per hour. It takes, by our best guess, 230 million years to make one complete orbit. But for all of Solomon's wisdom, Solomon didn't know, guess what, about the composition of our sun. Do you know how we know that he didn't know about it? Because to this day, we still not, do not fully understand the composition of our own sun. It is still a mystery to this day. We don't know about the composition of the closest star in the universe to us. Here's the point. Jesus would say of Solomon, he understood the cedar tree, but I designed its cellular structure. He understood plants and animals, but I designed them. I thought them up. That every fish from the rainbow trout to the deepest fish of the sea, the anglerfish, Jesus would say, Solomon has studied what he's seen. I know of what he's never seen. I designed it. I know it. I created it. Solomon has God-given wisdom. Jesus would say, I am wisdom. I am God's wisdom. So, what do we say? We say that Jesus is better. Jesus is also, in chapter 12, a better Sabbath. The context here is so important. The Pharisees had been tailing Jesus for quite some time, hoping he would mess up. They're terrified that Jesus coming along is going to upset the power equilibrium in the nation of Israel, that the power structure that they had established would begin to crumble and fail. And so when Jesus and the disciples were walking on the Sabbath and the disciples were hungry, the disciples picked off some of the heads of grain to eat, the Bible tells us. They filled their bellies, but they also filled the rage of the Pharisees. The Pharisees had added so much to the law, they built a fence around it, not to make the law safe, but to make themselves feel safe. And over the years, they'd added more and more and more regulations and stipulations to the Sabbath until the Sabbath had become the very thing that was the opposite of what God intended it to be, which was the Sabbath originally was a sign of God's covenant with the people. It was a gift to remind them that he was the originator and provider of their rest and freedom. As the Pharisees complained about Jesus allowing the disciples to eat, Jesus declares that he is Lord over the Sabbath. 
The word Jesus chooses to use here means a master or one who has authority over the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus is proclaiming that although he lived his life under the law, he's not bound by it. He's God over it. John chapter 5 demonstrates this really clearly. In verse 16 it says, And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father, watch this, My father is working until now. And I am working. This is why the Jews are seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, the Bible tells us, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. But see, the story is that Jesus is a better Sabbath, not just that Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath. The book of Hebrews teaches us that Jesus is, in fact, our rest. Uh, that all of our striving, all of our reaching and working, all of our toil is in vain. That acceptance of Jesus as the one with authority over not only the Sabbath, but also over our entire lives allows us to enter into a type of rest that we can't have without him. Eternal rest. Why? Because Jesus accomplished the work of God, the work of atoning for our sin. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is a better Sabbath because he provides eternal Rest, rest that can begin now, but a rest that doesn't stop rest that we will not fully know until we are with them. Jesus, help me, Jesus is better. Jesus goes on. He says he's a better, Jesus is a better temple. Uh, uh, there's been nothing more important in the life of the nation of Israel than the temple of God. The centrality of the temple in Judaism, it, it can't be overstated. We, we know that. If you've read the Bible, if you've studied the Bible, you, you know the temple is sort of a big deal. Here's the point. When the temple was built and dedicated, we read in 1 Kings chapter 8, and when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand and minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. The temple, for all of its splendor, for all of its importance, as the center of the sacrificial system, the most fascinating fact about the temple is the fact that the glory of God resided there. I mean, it really became a house for the Lord. That his presence was there. The temple in Jerusalem was a place where God's people could come, not just sacrifice, but come and just behold the awesome splendor and majesty of the Lord God. They could come in and worship and wonder at the God who chose to visit his people. But Jesus, my friends, he's, he's just... He's better than that. The true temple is not the stones and the beauty of the worship center in, in Jerusalem, but it's the resurrected body of Jesus. He, he, he says he will build the temple in three days. He entered into death and emerged victorious. Even the glory of the incarnation when the disciples saw the glory of God in the flesh of Jesus will be eclipsed by the glory of the resurrection. The essence of the temple, the majesty, the awesomeness, the weightiness, the purity, the brilliance of God will be seen in the body of Jesus that has triumphed over the curse brought to death, death itself. 
but saw no corruption. Jesus is the true temple, he tells us. Because a day is coming when the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17 will be answered. And Jesus prayed, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To do what? To see my glory. You have given me because you love me before the foundation of the earth. John was given a glimpse of that day in Revelation chapter 21. He writes, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb who is Jesus. What does it all mean? That in Solomon's day, in Jonah's day, the temple was the place where men and women could worship, sacrifice, and rest in the confidence that the glory and presence of God was present, but it didn't stay. We don't know exactly when the glory left the temple. Ezekiel prophesied about it, but it did. the glory of God didn't stay in the temple. You can go there today, and you could see the temple mount. The glory of God's not there. It, it, it left. But a day is coming, the Bible tells us. The presence of Jesus, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit now goes everywhere. He's here now. What, what, what people for hundreds of years in the Old Testament would show up with sacrifice and would tread with such reverent fear. The presence of God. He's here now. We have tasted and seen what they couldn't even imagine. The presence of God. The spirit of Jesus. For all who know him and love him dwells inside of each of you. He dwells in you and the day is coming, beloved, when he will dwell with us physically. We'll see him. Can you imagine sharing a meal with Jesus? You will. Can you imagine singing songs with Jesus? We will. Can can you imagine worshiping with Jesus to Jesus? We we will. It's It's all true. That's what awaits us. That's what Jesus purchased on the cross for you and for me and for all who would come. We're going to hang out with him. We're going to spend time with him. Jesus, he's better. As a people, why do we followers of Jesus make our lives more difficult? Instead of pursuing lives of comfort and ease, Why? It's because we follow Jesus. Jesus who left the comforts of heaven to enter into the difficulties of this broken world. We follow Jesus who came not just to provide comfort, but to provide abundant life for his followers. This life, this this abundant life that is promised us in the gospel, it's not found in pursuing the wisdom of Solomon. It's not found in pursuing the beauty of the temple. It's not found in pursuing the adventurous missionary life of the reluctant prophet Jonah. 
The life of abundance is not bound by seeking ease. The life of abundance that Jesus promised his followers is found by laying down. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Jesus said in Luke 17, so we don't live as followers of Jesus safe lives. We live joyful lives of purpose because we know that Jesus is better. He's better. And we experience now, I'm going to create a word, his betterness. We experience the betterness of Jesus now. And one day, for those who know and trust him, for those who trade the glories of this world for the glories of a cross, we know in fullness that indeed Jesus is better. He's better than Jonah. He's better than Solomon. He's better than the temple. He's better than the Sabbath. He's just better. And his offer is to share it, all of it. This is the most mind-boggling thing to me. The most mind-boggling thing to me about the gospel message beyond the forgiveness. Like I, I, I can begin, just begin to wrap my head around that. I don't understand it, but what, what I, can't, I can't even begin, I, my mind just can't even get there. Is the fact that the Son of God would look at you and not just call you forgiven, but call you brother or sister. Say that we're part of his family, that we're co-heirs as Jesus is to the Father. And all the goodness and glory that is awaiting for those who lay everything down for his sake. So that all of us can eternally experience the truth that we've been declaring to one another today. So one more time, help me, that Jesus is better. That's the real story of the book of Jonah. Jesus is better. What's the matter of the heart? It's settling that. But day in, day out, for those who are followers of Jesus, we recognize that Jesus is better. It's for those who haven't experienced Jesus at all to recognize with your life that Jesus is better than every other pursuit. That all of them are vain to pursue, except for one. Jesus is better. Will you pray with me? As the band comes up, we're going to sing one more song together. It is about something that indeed is better. And we're going to declare together in a moment that the mercy of God is better. It's more. And if you haven't experienced that yet, I just invite you this morning. Experience the mercy of God, that it's more, it's better. You can. It's his desire for you. So in a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And if you need to do business with the Lord, if you need to settle some things in your heart, maybe for the first time, that Jesus is in fact better than everything you've been pursuing, I would just encourage you, come grab one of us. Say, just pray with me, talk to me. If you need to put a stake in the ground and make this your church home, come let us know. If you need to follow and declare before all of God's people that Jesus is better by following for the first time in baptism, come let us know.
not every decision is going to check one of those boxes. There may be things in your own heart, your own life that you've been pursuing, trusting in. But you just need to put a stake in the ground and say, no more. Today I declare with my life, with the way I live, that Jesus indeed is better. Begin to experience the abundance that comes by laying everything down in pursuit of him. Heavenly Father, we love you. It is in the name of your son, Jesus, who indeed is better that we pray. You're, you're it. You are the sum total. You are the personification. You are wisdom itself. You are glory and power and beauty. You are forgiveness. You are the gospel. You are the good news. God, come to us. And so we worship you. We love you. And we praise you. In the name of Jesus and God's people said together, Amen. Will you stand up as we worship together?